On today's Life 66, we come to the sixth letter written to the church in Philadelphia in the third chapter of the book of Revelation. This is Pastor Greg, and this is Life 66. Glad you joined us today. The letter to the church of Philadelphia. So we've seen each of the letters in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the Revelation have this personal connection, and the personal connection of this church is, you belong to me. I remember my little daughter was so small, maybe three years old, four years old, she'd jump into my arms and throw her arms around my neck, and you know, all of her weight was on me, I was supporting her, I was holding her in my arms, her feet are off the ground, but then she would, in her little tiny voice, say, but you belong to me, and it always just made me laugh, and and uh, those are just sweet memories, but that's that's kind of the same connection that Jesus is giving to the Church of Philadelphia, that that he is the rock, he is the standard, he is the strength. Uh, and he's saying, you're mine. And in response, we can say to him, we, you belong to me. This is one of only two churches in the, in the seven letters that have no words of correction to them. The Lord uh, uh, identifies them as, as a, a faithful church, an enduring church, but in their own eyes, they're small, they're insignificant, um, and you know, they don't think they have much to offer. But God says there's, there's much, much more than meets the eye. Uh, we, we immediately identify the name of this church, Philadelphia. Of course, we have a city in the States, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And we, we can relate to this, uh, um, this name, or at least we desire to relate to this name as a church of, of brotherly love, that we truly do have love one for another. The city, uh, about 25 miles southeast of Sardis, one of our other cities here uh, that we've studied already, uh, had many uh, Greek influences, many pagan influences, but this church remained faithful to the gospel uh, throughout the first 1,300 years. Um, And even today, uh, there are five Christian churches with a 1,000 members or more uh, in this place right now in in modern-day Turkey. so it's an enduring church, even though it was small uh, and considered itself insignificant, it, um, it is endured even to this day. The letter deals with the promises of God to those who will be faithful, and that's all God ever calls us to do. He never called us to succeed. He never called us to get large. He never called us to prosper in a sense of monetary prosperity or fame or power. He told us to be faithful. Keep doing what you do. See, to God, there, there is no end in the sense of, well, I've got this thing for you to do, and when you reach the goal, then I'll be happy with you. No, to God, it's the process. The end is irrelevant. Sometimes the end doesn't make sense. Read the Bible and see the ends of so many great people. It didn't end well for many of them. Martyrs, Hebrews 11 talks about heroes of the faith, and at the end, it talks about these people who never saw the promise fulfilled. But it wasn't about the fulfillment, it was about the process. How will they be faithful now? How will you be faithful now? So this letter speaks to that type of mentality. But he speaks of, uh, of him coming alongside of us and, and providing the power, providing the, the strength that we need. Verse 8 says, I have placed before you an open door no one can shut. Verse 9, I will bring justice on those who mocked you. Verse 10, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Verse 11, hold on, I'm coming soon. Verse 12, you will be my pillar and I will never leave you. 
verse 12. I will write on him the, uh, God's name, my name, and the name of my city. All these statements of possession of I will protect you, I will be with you, I will sustain you, I will write my name on you, uh, reminds us so much of Romans 8, 38 and 39 when it says nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's powerful, powerful uh, statements Jesus is making here to this church. But let me, before we get too deep here, let me read to you the, the verses uh, starting in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Revelation. To the church of Philadelphia, uh, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of, of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who, over, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's dive in here. First of all, in verse three and uh, verse seven to eight, it's the power of Jesus Christ. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an, an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Uh, this is the only time that there is not an absolute direct quote from chapter one. However, there is the connection in chapter 118. It says, I hold the keys to death and Hades. Uh, although the keys here spoken of are slightly different, the holding of keys is the connection to verse uh, chapter one, which keeps the consistency of what we've seen in the other letters. Um, verse seven says, him who holds the key of David, the ownership of Israel here, the ownership of the, the people of God. R R Romans speaks about true Jews not being Israelites only, but all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and, and have been declared righteous like Father Abraham. So Father Abraham's children are not just Jews, but all those who have trusted in God the way he did. This uh, It begins here with Jesus is in charge. He is in total control here. And there's three things that we see in these first verses about Jesus' total control. First, his character. He's holy and true. It's the same uh, uh, words we see in, in Revelation 6.10 uh, in the context of the martyrs, not to worry because he is holy and true. Justice will come in God's timing. All of God's promises to the faithful are based on his unchanging character. He's holy, set apart, free from sin. He does not lie. He's true without falseness. He can be trusted. Psalm 33, 4 says, what he does is right. What he says is right. So he is holy and true. He holds the key of David. This is uh, referenced uh, Isaiah 22, um, 20 to 25, and that this is speaking of the treasury, the keys of the kingdom, the keys of the treasury. Jesus owns the keys to death in Hades. Jesus owns the key to heaven. Jesus owns the key to all the treasures. The fact of the matter here is that he's in control. 
There is nothing that God does not have control of. There is no government. There is no politician. There is no uh, uh, tech company. There is no um, power anywhere that has dominion over Jesus Christ. And though people want to run around thinking that they're in charge, that they can rule, that they can manipulate, that they can control people, it's false. It's a false sense of control. Jesus will, well, Jesus does have control, and he will reveal that in power in days to come. And I'm thinking it's coming ever closer. The door is the way to God's glory, and Jesus holds the key to that door. He is the one who has access. Remember back to the time of Genesis 6 with the ark, that it was Jesus after, or God rather, after he told Noah to build the ark, that he's the one who shut the door. He's the one who controlled the access in and out. So Jesus is the one who has the control here. And it's important for us to never lose heart, to never get get discouraged or to um, get, get, you know, we can just get downcast and think what is going on is, you know, where is God in these moments? Where is God in these crazy times? Don't worry. He's not lost control. He's not somehow um, been overpowered that uh, he is in full control. And he says later on, says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. God has chosen to set an open door before the faithful church of Philadelphia, a door that no one can shut. God has made the church. No one's going to shut the doors of his church. The church doors cannot be shut. What God has begun, he will complete. What God has built, no one can destroy. The gates of hell can't even prevail against God's church. He is the one who will keep the church healthy and alive, even if that church feels insecure or or, or weakened, or even if you in your life feel insecure or weakened, you don't have to worry. He knows your deeds. He knows the faithfulness that you have. The reason for these, the, the promises to follow are that he knows their deeds. He knows that they're not uh, necessarily the most influential, the greatest church. I mean, this is the only mention of this church in the entire scripture, well, as is you know many of the other churches listed. Um, but, but it's not as if they have this great global influence they're just simply faithful. They do what pleases the Lord. And he is pleased with them for three reasons. First, that they've been depending on the Lord's strength. He says, I know you have little strength. You think you're weak, but don't, don't kid yourself. You're not. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it's when your strength is little that you depend on his, uh, when your weakness is great, your strength is little, you depend on his strength. And that's all we need to do. It's not about our strength. It's about depending on his says, number two, you're strong, and he's pleased with them because of their dedication to God's word, that they've obeyed him. No matter what has come along, they've stayed true. No matter what uh, has, has tried to contradict God's word, they've not let go. They've, they've, they've gripped his word with an unyielding grip, and they will not compromise. In a day when there's so much compromise, so much uh, wishy-washiness over God's word, so much debate over did God really say that? Is this really true? Does, did, does God's word really mean this? It's garbage. God's word is God's word, and you need to stay true to it. We all need to lay hold of it, to grip it tightly, and never let it go. I once heard one popular minister telling a, a secular news uh, a talk show uh, interviewer uh, when he was asked, you know, what do you really think about the Bible? Do you really believe everything that's in there? And the man spoke and said, well, I I treat the Bible like I eat fish, that I, I take a bite and I eat what I like 
and like bones of the fish, I toss away what I don't like. It doesn't surprise me that a few years later, that man is out of ministry and his church is destroyed. Church doesn't even exist anymore. Because nothing stands firm if it doesn't stand on the word of God. Science tries to contradict the word. Voices will try to bring a new enlightenment about the word of God having gone out of date. Nonsense. Isaiah 47 says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So he's, he's pleased with them because they're dependent, they're dedicated to his word, and they have devote, devotion to the Lord himself. That when the church deals loosely with God's word, it will ultimately deny his name. The church at Pergamos, they denied his name. Um, some were loyal, but some did not. Some were not loyal. These people of Philadelphia, they're loyal. And they have held to God's word, therefore they have held to God. That they've held to Jesus as their salvation. They've held to the truth that he is the faithful soon and coming one. And they're waiting for his soon return. It's fascinating to me looking at each of these seven churches. And the last one we'll look at after this. Each has a misconception of themselves. Remember, Ephesus uh, think they love for working hard, but Jesus just wants intimacy. Smyrna thought they were poor, but they were rich. Pergamus thought they were true, but they were compromised. Thyatira thought they were, thought they were faithful, but they tolerated immorality. Sardis thought they were alive, but they're dead. Philadelphia thinks they're weak, but they're strong. And then next time, Laodicea, they think they're rich, but they're poor. We don't never have to worry about our own perceptions or even misconceptions. All we have to worry about is being faithful. Stay true. Don't deviate. Forget about what anybody says. Forget about success. Forget about popularity. Forget about achievement. Concentrate on being faithful. When you do that, God takes care of the rest. God will take care of your future. God will take care of your your, uh, uh, finances. He will take care of your home. He will take care of your work. He'll take care of you because he cares for you. He's called us simply to be faithful. Verse 9 and 10, I will make those who are of a synagogue of Satan, uh, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Uh, Both Philadelphia and Smyrna have had opposition from this synagogue of Satan. And Jesus' protection is dealing with two areas hostility from unbelievers, and being kept from this hour of wrath to come. Now, right now, there's a lot of hostility from unbelievers toward the church. We're in this pandemic, and many are pointing at Christians who uh, maybe have a differing view of what um, control uh, is being levied against the church, especially last year when we were shut down and many were pushing back against uh, the inability to have live worship services and so on. And, and I've heard many people uh, speak about Christians and churches as if they are the problem in our culture and in our society. Well, this is only going to increase. We just need to read uh, the rest of the Revelation. Read Matthew 24, that the hour of hostility uh, will not just be current, but it will increase. And again, we go back to the first statements. We need to just be faithful, no matter what comes against us. Christ will honor those who have been faithful in the eyes of unbelievers at some point. Now, sometimes I get a little bit you know, full of myself on this one, and I, and I want to hold on to that one and say, yeah, they're going to get theirs. You know, they've ridiculed us or they've uh, you know, mocked, and in my heart there's this fleshly thing that says, oh, man, I can't wait till God smashes you. 
Well, that's obviously not the right heart of God, even though you know, feels well. It's just it's just not right. It's not His heart. Um, I mean, we want those people saved like anybody else. But the fact is, God will defend us. God will show Himself to be true, and He will honor those who have been faithful in the eyes of those who have been unfaithful. And number two, He points to this hour of trial to come. There's great debate on this particular uh, portion, um, and it deals with, of course, the the great tribulation period. Um, debt spoken of in Daniel 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, some in Matthew 24, and in detail in Revelation. Uh, and some think the church will not even be around for any of those seven years. Some think we'll be on earth for the entirety of the seven years. And some believe that there will be a removal of the church in the midst of the seven years. Personally, I am one of those who holds to that we will be on earth for the first portion, the first three and a half years, and then we will be taken uh, by Christ in the rapture in the midst, and then we will not be around for the last half. Now, this is not a message today on on that uh, particular theology, um, but there is a- ample evidence in my thinking uh, of us never being saved from persecution or the wrath of Satan, but it is clear from first, uh, Second Corinthians uh, 1 and 2 that we will never suffer God's wrath. We have been covered by Jesus Christ's blood. His wrath is no longer on us. And so in the second half of the tribulation, when it's God's wrath coming upon us, that we are saved from that. Now, this is one of those things I can't claim absolute certainty. No one knows. If you think you have absolute uh, certainty on pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, well, you're lying because you don't know. No one knows. Um, we, we can study the scripture and we can do the best we can with it. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus did say, I will keep them from the hour of trial. Uh, what does that mean exactly? Again, we don't know. The whole seven years, the middle of the seven years, or just does it mean we'll live through them, but not be, uh, we won't suffer during those seven years. Um, that's something that we simply don't know. What we do know is that the Lord Jesus will preserve. That's what we do know, that there is a testing time coming, and whatever that looks like, God is going to preserve us in the midst of that. And that's what we need to keep our eyes focused upon. In verse 11, it says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. We see this so often, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 3, and it says, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And he adds in this one, soon. And this is soon, like like in brief, but not unexpectedly. Uh, it means quickly, like a thief. But we learn from other passages in the Gospels that those who are looking and waiting and watching for him, that his coming will not take us by surprise like a thief, that we'll be expecting him, kind of like the father who saw uh, this prodigal son coming from a long way off, that he saw him and ran to him, that there was this this looking out the window of expectation, uh, not knowing when the son would return, but knowing he would. And in the same way, we know Jesus is going to come back. We don't know when, but he know he is. And so we're waiting expectantly. So he's coming soon, not to catch us off guard, because we're waiting for him. In Thyatira, it says they're going to be cast into tribulation. Sardis, they're caught unaware. But Philadelphia, those who are watching and waiting for it, they're not going to be caught caught unaware. It simply says, hold on 
to what you have. What do we have? The word of God, our salvation, so that no one will take your crown. Now, again, this is a debatable passage. Some hold to a once saved, always saved theology. I don't personally hold to that, though I do not believe that anyone can take your crown, but we can certainly reject it. Second Corinthians, uh, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 9 speaks of after we have run the race and buffeted our body, we must continue to be faithful lest we uh, are disqualified. Hebrews 6 speaks to those that have been lightened, that have tasted of the heavenly gift, if they uh, step away, cannot return. Um, of course, it's debatable. There are those uh, you know, wonderful believers and scholars on, on different sides of the eternal security uh, question. Um, the fact of the matter is this, God has us. And as long as we hold on, um, and it's not as if uh, we need to hold on to him with our strength. Remember, like my little daughter, when she held on to my neck and said, you belong to me, the fact is I was holding on to her. She might have thought she had a hold of my neck, but I guarantee you I was not going to let her fall. I had her. And God has us. We don't need to fear. You don't need to worry every day if you slip up that somehow, oh no, you've lost your salvation. No, 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 that's silliness. Um, you can't just, on a whim, uh, lose it. God's grace is sufficient, and his grace is not taken from you. It would, it would be a very, very difficult thing to walk away from the grace of God. Last verses, verse 12 to 13. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Interesting passage here in that because there's no temple in heaven, then there's therefore no pillars. But of course, this is... you know not speaking of actually you know, a literal writing on stone, uh, but we are the pillars. That we are the, we are, uh, If we are the pillars, we are the permanent resting place, uh, or, or we have a permanent resting place with God in eternity, and, and his name resides there. Uh, Psalm 23, 6 says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Romans 8, 38, 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That, that togetherness, that with God, and his name being present, his name written uh, on us, us giving a new name that we've seen previously in, in uh, the second letter, um, written on that white stone, um, that he has given us his name. We bear that, the name of our God, the name of the new city, the name of Jesus. That's our possession, and that name is the name that is above every name. That name is the name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess See, when we think we're weak and we fear of being overrun, we fear of being uh, uh, cast aside, we fear of being persecuted even, there's the, the concern of feeling weak or feeling insignificant. But never forget, we bear his name. And there will be a day when every knee will bow to that name. He's going to seal us as he seals the 144,000 in, later in the, in the book of the Revelation. We belong to him. Like when you're a child and you have a toy and, and you want to keep it safe. You write, out, you write your name on it so that everybody knows it's yours. Like, uh, like the little Toy Story character, Andy, when, uh, or, uh, uh, when, when Andy writes his name on, on Woody's shoe to let everybody know, he belongs to me. God has put his name on us. We belong to him. So therefore, he's never going to let us go. It's his seal of ownership that we are his. Listen, today, church... 
we need not worry about the times that we're in. They are certainly crazy times. They are certainly times that we might feel weak. You might feel as a believer that you're weak. I felt those times, uh, even lately, with all the chaos and the just the, the the emotions and sometimes the anger that wells up inside of the things that people do and and the just the anti godness and the foolishness and falseness of their voices. Um, but all of that is irrelevant. What is important is that we remain faithful, that we hold on and don't let go. That's the lesson of Philadelphia. That's a lesson for us today. Hold on every day, no matter what, don't let go, and you'll find that he's got you all along. Glad you're with me today. Tune in next time. We'll talk about the last of the seven churches, and then we're going to kick it into hyperspace. We've taken forever getting through chapters two and three, but we're going to kick it into gear and take about a chapter uh, uh, per each podcast going on from here on out uh, to finish off the book in the next week. So God bless you. Hold on tight. Stay in the Life 66, his precious word, and let's hold on because he's holding on to us. God bless you.